love, um, it's truly amazing. And as we sing about it tonight, we know that it's your love that first came to us to reach us. And we couldn't love you if you had not done that. You led the way. Tonight we come in moments like this after singing these incredible songs with these great lyrics and this great music and our hearts are just opened up to say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for it, Lord. We love you. We give you our cares, our worries, our anxieties. We lay them at the altar tonight. We rest. I just, with heads bowed, I just want to speak rest and peace into some of you tonight who are carrying that that weariness, that worry, that anxiety. We all fall into it. And it's, we know where to cast our cares on the Lord, but sometimes it's tough. It's difficult, and especially days like this. And some of you have had one of those weeks. And Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. And you can rest in that. How many of you just need to know that again? You just need to hear that. You just, God, help these. Bless and encourage and be strong tonight as we lay these things down for your glory, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. How many of you know somebody who's standing around you? So please say hi to them. And if you don't know them, find, a little, find out who they are, would you? good day good what makes a good day somebody just say waking up okay just checking making sure hey it's such a joy to do what i'm about to do and i really have looked forward to this those of you that came to our annual business meeting we had the privilege of uh honoring pastors darren fred and pastor rob cole coles for 10 years of faithful service at Timberline Church. And uh, Pastor Rob was uh, very ill that day and ended up actually going to the hospital and getting checked out and sent home, but he wasn't exactly able to come back that night. So he's doing fine now, and we're glad for that. But um, So I wasn't able to present him with his Timberline ring. And so I said, those of you that were, were there that night know I said, I'm going to find a Wednesday night in the near future that I can do that. If you know nothing about this ring, I just want to explain it. If you're new around Timberline, it's been a lot of years ago now that I went down to Old Town and I worked with a jeweler to build a ring that would honor pastors and deacons who have served faithfully, deacons who have served three terms, um, are presented the Timberline ring and pastors who served 10 years um, of faithful service are presented this ring. And that's really the only way you can get it unless you steal it. And uh, we don't want you to do that. But it's, it's symbolic. This ring has many components to it. It's, uh, it has the five peaks of Timberline built into the ring. It has a black bar across it which represents the bridge, 
those of you that have been here a long time, I had a whole series on what it means to be a bridge church, to bring people from where they are to God. And we have been that kind of a church. And even our, our the symbolism of our logo with the, the Timberline T is that, that bar. It represents a bridge and bringing people over. And so there's a lot of symbolism here. And it's just with such great honor that I'm able to present this ring. And I'm going to ask Pastor Rob and his wife Joy to please come at this time. Come on up here, and um, I want to just talk a little bit about them and who they are and, and who they have become. I know that you love them and respect them and care deeply for them. And Come right on over here. Joy, I just want to say to you, though I know you're not going to be wearing this ring, you have helped earn it for him. Okay? So you owe her. And, and he knows that. But when, when we, though the ring is something Pastor Rob is going to wear because we don't ask uh, joy to serve in all the capacities we do you, Pastor Rob. We know this is a team. Amen. We know that you guys um, have done this together. When Pastor Rob and Joy first came to our staff, they came for about six and a half, uh, seven years as a youth pastor, associate pastor, a variety of roles that uh, Rob played on our staff back then. And then they left us and uh, went down to Colorado Springs to be senior pastor of a great church called Radiant Church for about six years. And then about uh, three and a half years ago, they came back to Timberline after they finally saw the light. And God... And he came back in a role. And I, I want to just say a little bit about this role. I didn't know that I would ever want an executive pastor because that's a role that, that I love to to have because it's it's the nitty gritty it's it's working with team it's it's daily grind it's 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 I, I like ministry like that but it became apparent to me that uh, I would hinder Timberline Church if I did not have someone in this capacity to allow me to continue on a visionary track and so it could not have been a better person I don't know that that I could have ever given that role to someone other than Pastor Rob because from a personal level, he's one of my very best friends. And from a business level, if I should call it that, a calling level, he is so gifted. His skill sets are amazing. And Rob, I just want to say, you have a very unique ability to continue to be a learner. You're a voracious reader. You are who you appear to be. You have challenged me in, a, in the best sense of that word. Uh, thank you for not being afraid to disagree with my opinion and to find a place of common ground. It makes me better. It makes our teams better. Thank you for leading from your heart. You love first and you lead second. Pastor Rob is not afraid to confront, but he confronts in love. He's bold. He's strong. He's opinionated. Strongly opinionated, <laughs> but flexible, pliable. He's not afraid to receive correction. And I honestly want to tell you, I think that's amazing. And I couldn't ask for a greater relationship with a pastor and a friend. And from all of us, deacon teams who have served, leaders who have served, all the volunteers who are here tonight, respect you, 
and want to honor you on this night. All of us are a part of this. Would you join me in saying a huge thank you and a bless you to Pastor Rob Coles and his wife, Joy. I love you. Bless you. Bless your heart. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bless your Okay, quit. You're cutting into Dick's time. Let me just share with you my opinion. I'm just kidding. I am, I'm, Joy and I both are so, just, it's humbling to have the privilege to serve Jesus with you. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful on so many levels to be back. I, I, I told Derry right after we came back that we had some trip up in the mountains and we were coming down the pass and we came to that sign for I-25 and it said Colorado Springs or Fort Collins. There was just something so incredible in my heart when I knew my exit was to go to Fort Collins. It's weird because Colorado Springs is my home. It's where I was born and raised. And I love Colorado Springs. Our family is still there. But there's something about this city and this place and this community. that, And that's you and this staff um, that's home in our hearts. And I'm just honored to serve Jesus with you. Um, I've told you this before. It's been a long time probably. But I first met Derry Northrup when I was in eighth grade at a summer camp. And he was a young youth pastor who was my counselor in a, in a dorm room over on the western slope of Colorado. And, and in, in many ways, he's the same person today as he was then, just speaking into my life as a teenager, encouraging me, believing in me. And throughout, probably from then on, even as I was a youth pastor in Colorado Springs, this relationship developed of, of Derry speaking into my life. And so the opportunity we got to come work for him was the greatest joy. And then we got to meet all of you and meet the staff. And why we left, I have no idea. We were, it took us a while. Most people get this ring by consecutive service and the dumber ones of us, um, we come back. Actually, I do know why. God had a great appointment for us there. And I love dearly the church that, that we left in Colorado Springs. But it is an honor to serve you. It's an honor to follow this man. Um, this ring is so significant to me because I fully believe that I'm willing to give my life for what it stands for. To be a bridge into the lives of people who don't yet know who Jesus is. And, and to value the things that those peaks stand for. I'll give my life to that. And uh, I, it's just an honor to serve you. I'm now cutting into Dick's time. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that I should shut up and let him teach. And so I love you so much. I love this staff. It's the greatest staff of people that, that I've ever worked with in my life. It's such an incredible honor to do ministry with people I consider my friends. And, uh, and love you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Dick, come up here and talk to us, will you? We asked, asked Joy if she wanted to say anything, and she will not usually talk in public. But I, I, we both feel the same way, and uh, 
My wife is the most amazing woman. I know you feel that way about your wife, but you're wrong. My wife (laughs) is the most incredible human being I know, and I love her with all my heart, and I'm just so grateful for her, too. Bless you. Good evening. What a terrific uh, thing to be able to follow that kind of uh, blessing and presentation. Um, And I'll come back to talking about that in just a moment. This is Easter week. This is what historically in the church calendar is called the Passion Week. It has to do with God's passion for us about the intensity of the time about what happens to Jesus, what happens to his disciples. And so to be able to uh, speak in this week is a very uh, powerful and pleasing thing to me. I'd like you to turn with me tonight to Philippians, the first chapter. And tonight in this game that we've been playing the last three weeks called Relational Baseball, we're going to be talking about third base. And I'm going to tell you what it is first, uh, just simply because it fits with what we just did here. First base is history giving. If in any relationship your, your, your knowledge of a person provides the opportunity to love them well. Second base is affirmation. That $4 word that means I like you. And third base is covenant. That as you learn someone's history... As you learn to affirm or know where to love them because you've learned their history or continue to learn it, you then start building covenants, cooperative places, places that you commit to each other. It may not be all one covenant, it may be all kinds of them, but in the, in the giving of this ring to Rob and Joy, it expresses a response to covenants that have been built over the ten years they've been here. It expresses a kind of relationship. They don't have to have the ring to have the covenant. But you can't look at the ring without saying, this is what that's about. So tonight I want to talk about that third base. And let's read one more time the Philippians passage that we have used as a text. Paul is writing with Timothy to the folks at Philippi. If you try to find Philippi today north of Thessaloniki, Greece... It's a pile of rubble, but at this time, it was a pretty significant place. Paul and Timothy, this is Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers For all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, plural, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains, that is in prison, or or defending and confirming the gospel, that would be out of prison, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love, your love, may abound more and more 
in knowledge and depth of insight. So you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Real quickly tonight, I want to just run back over first and second base. First base is history giving. What I am is a history book. And Paul says that every time I remember you, I pray for you with joy. He's got history with these people. History has a number of components to it. One is that it's biblical. It's a history book. The way I get to know God and love and trust and respect him is in part by reading this book, by reading the stories of how he deals with people over time and how they respond and he responds. Second thing is that it's natural. It's an easy place to start. Where were you born and brought up? What did you do for fun as a kid? What was the coolest place in your town? Where were you when you were 18? Who are the people in your life that left their fingerprints on your soul in a positive way? There's just a whole range of questions that you can ask that help to just naturally discover people's history. Third thing is that we have two libraries in our lives. One you can buy at the university bookstore or you can get it at Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com or Half.com if you want to get a used book and you're cheaper. You know, I, I'm cheap, so I go to Half.com. That's one kind of library. But there's another kind of library that's a living library, and it's the folks sitting around you. And when you hear their stories firsthand, that's a powerful kind of thing. People say, but I don't want to share my history because I have scars. If it's, um, if it's true that we have scars, which it is, if you're looking, as I said before, if you're looking for somebody who's not scarred, you're, you're sort of on the wrong planet. Everybody has scars who's sitting here. But scars aren't bad. They only tell you where you don't want to go again. And finally, some people say I'm trapped by my history. If that's true then the cross of Jesus, the thing we celebrate this week, doesn't mean that much. Now, I can be trapped by my history. I, I would admit to that. But we don't have to be trapped by our history. The whole purpose of the cross and the resurrection is so that I don't have to be trapped back there. He gives me a future. But I'm absolutely shaped by it. I'm shaped by the fact that I was raised in Oakland, California, brought up, if you will, in Oakland, California. I am shaped by the fact that I have one sister instead of 11 siblings. I'm shaped by the fact that I spent a few years in India as a kid. I'm shaped by the fact that I'm a left coaster. You know, I was out there on the west coast of California. I'm shaped by all those things. So they, they, lead, they, they frame how I see things, but I'm not designed to be trapped by them. So that's first base. Second base is affirmation. As I get to know you, I can learn how to affirm you. And last week I talked about affirming in four ways. First is words to God about you. We call that prayer. Second is words to you about you. We call that compliment. Third is actions toward you. Romans 5.8. This is love. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took an action toward us. And then four, affirmation, the fourth kind of affirmation is actions toward your world, that I'm interested in the space that you occupy and the things you do with your life. 
as we keep coming around the base, as we come to this third base, which I've chosen to call covenant, could be fellowship. But Paul talks here when, when he, when he uh, speaks in this first few verses. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. As you get to know people, you start making connections with them. You start building kind of mini oaths or because covenant from the Hebrew means an, an oath. It means uh, your word out here in the West. I understand. Well, not just in the West. It used to be years ago that your word was your bond, that you could just do a handshake and sell a piece of property. It's not that way anymore. We're into a we're into a time of um, contracts and prenuptials and all kinds of things going on. But the biblical idea of that is found in the word covenant. Sometimes it's a covenant that's one way, which is the covenant that we'll be sharing around the Lord's table where where the king says, this is how it's going to be. These are the guidelines. You respond or you don't respond, but you can't change the guidelines. That's what that's what we call communion. There's other kinds of covenants where you mutually agree on certain things. But in but in relationships, you make all kinds of mini covenants with each other. You even make covenants sometimes with yourself. You know, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to have I'm not going to do this today. I'm not going to eat that. For me, it's almost always about food. And I almost always break them. You know, we got, we got we got a call. You know, Job Job said, "I make I made a covenant with my eyes not to look on a maiden." That's an interesting kind of language that he that he uses there. We got a call tonight from our eldest daughter, and we don't come. We Ruth and I don't come from a tradition that's sort of liturgical that looks at the church year and goes by Epiphany and Lent and so forth. We don't come from that kind of background, but. But over the years, especially our children, they've, they've started looking at that more closely. And I have great respect and, and uh, think there's a lot of merit in that. But Lent is that time between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Some of you come from this background. When you give up things for Lent, you kind of make a covenant with yourself. And I'm going to give it up. And the kids out in Eugene, Oregon, kind of thought they wanted to do it. And Sammy's nine years old. He's got bright red hair, orange hair almost. I mean, he's just... And he's just a wiry little kid that loves the Oregon Ducks football team because he lives in their town and all of that. And he said, I want to give up something for Lent. And they said, what? He said, I'll give up sweets, which is not easy when you're nine years old. And they said, uh, well, if you, you know, the point is you're going to want some. And the point is that when you feel that hunger or that desire, you're supposed to pray. You're supposed to talk to God about that. So what are you going to pray about? And Sammy thought a moment and said, said, I'm going to pray that he puts that taste in my mouth. (laughs) Three things I'd like to say about covenant tonight. First is this. That a covenant takes time. Covenant takes time. When you think about Jesus coming to the planet to redeem mankind, he could have done it any way he wanted. He's God. They could have said, beam me down, Scotty. They could have, he could have just shown up. But he comes as a baby in this country that's, 
that no self-respecting Roman soldier wanted to be posted to because it was fractious and they had religious strife and all kinds of stuff going on there. And he comes into this awkward situation and you read the story in the Gospels and you see this about Jesus. I mean, why did he come and spend 33 years? I mean, he could have done it maybe in a year and a half or in a month or two. Why 33 years? And the only thing I can figure out is that it has to do with identification with us, that it has to do with understanding how relationships are built or how, how we understand life to be. I would think it would be fair to say that he knew these disciples that he chose, all from Galilee, all from his home territory, these 12. I think it would be fair to say that he probably had known them for some time before he chose them. Maybe they knew each other as teenagers. I don't know. I don't want to, uh, you know, presuppose that. But there, but there's this sense that that out of out of time, relationship is built. It's interesting that in Mark the fourth chapter, the thirteenth verse, relationship is put as the first thing that he looks for in selecting his disciples. In Mark four thirteen and fourteen, it says that he goes away and prays overnight and then comes back and he appoints 12 apostles and he chooses them to be with him. It's this interesting little preposition. He chooses them to be with him and to preach and to cast out demons. That's what it says in the text. My friend Richard Halverson, who was former chaplain of the Senate, who has now gone on to be with the Lord, when I sat with him one of the first times, he, he, he said, Dick, that preposition, with, changed my whole life. It changed how I saw ministry. It changed how I saw the kingdom. Because the kingdom is about together. The non-kingdom is about apart. This idea of being together and walking together and having relationships that count, that work and last, is the core of the kingdom idea and when you when you look at this relationships the closest relationships you have and i have have grown over time we were at a marriage seminar one time and i was talking and i said what you need in your marriage is quality time and ruth had heard me say that i don't know 100 times and she was sitting down here somewhere and she said essentially forget about the quality give me quantity we'll work out the quality later One of the things that happens when you go on beach reach, like they did a few weeks ago, where the young people and a few older folks went down to South Padre Island during spring break, you say it's great that they went down there and they helped those kids and tried to keep them from hurting themselves when they were drunk and tried to share Jesus with them in their kind of inebriated condition and so forth. But I'll tell you, one of the greatest parts of the trip was going down and coming back. I wasn't on that trip, but I've been on dozens of trips to Mexico with university students from the University of Illinois down to various towns in Mexico. And when you're 50 hours or 30 hours on a bus one way with 30 or 40 people, you get to know each other real quick. I mean, after the fourth hour, kind of the inhibitions go away and you, and you start talking about things that you wouldn't ordinarily talk about and you start opening your heart and you're, you're, you're going to do this thing with Jesus together but there's something that happens on the, on the bus that is powerful. The idea of time being 
one of the qualifiers for a relationship is essential in Scripture. You read the first half of the chapter of Acts, first half of the book of Acts, and you find two people walking together, Peter and John. You read the last half of the book of Acts, and you find Paul and company. There are these people who are walking together with Jesus who in that process get to know each other more deeply. Now, some relationships come out of pressure. Some of you have been in the military. Some of you have been in desperate places that if we knew the stories, we would just stand to our feet right now and praise God, not only that you're alive, but that you're here in this place. But there are some guys who were thrown into foxholes with mortars raining down, and in a 72-hour period that they survived, they became like brothers. They were defenders of each other, and 40 years later they meet at a reunion of the 101st whatever in Houston or in Pascagoula or in New York City, and they fall into each other's arms like the people who walk down from the 85th floor of the Trade Center. They will be friends for life, not because they came from the same ethnic background, not because they believe the same stuff, not, but they survived together coming down those stairwells, floor after floor, thinking they were going to die, and they didn't. And now their families get together on special occasions. But that is the exception rather than the rule. Some of you know people in this room, and you've known them for 30 or 40 years. And when you see them, you just have warm feelings just because you remember that time, or remember the things we went to here, or you remember that celebration, or that devastating time when we just... We didn't have words and we just held each other. So, relationships take time. Secondly, relationships take truth-telling. Truth-telling. No relationship that works and lasts works without truth-telling. Listen to this verse. This is Mark 10.45. Mark 10.45. For the Son of Man... Now, Jesus has just told the truth to his disciples because they've been kind of fighting in this text about who's going to be the greatest and all. And Jesus looks at him and says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That idea carries with it the essence of what relationship is about. Let me frame it this way. How many of you over the years have heard some discussion or read something about authority and submission? Anybody? You've read or heard something or done some studies on authority and submission? I'd just like to make a couple of observations. Usually when you start talking about authority and submission, two-thirds of the women in the congregation start sucking air through their teeth. Saying, oh, here's, here's another man going to tell me about submission. Well, it will be a man talking about submission, but you don't have to suck air through your teeth, okay? Let me just ask this question. In the New Testament, who is the most authoritative person in the New Testament? It's an easy answer. Yeah, Jesus. Question. Who's the most submitted person 
in the New Testament? Jesus. Question. What's that about? How does that work? How can you like be the most authoritative, have the most authority, and be the most submitted? Well, see, his way of thinking is not my way of thinking. His way of thinking is 180 degrees. You know, we say his ways are not my ways, his thoughts are not. But it's not like they're just 12 degrees different. His way of thinking is 180 degrees different than my way of thinking. Now, in in my culture and in most cultures, the authoritative person stands up and speaks out. And the submitted person kneels down and washes feet. Jesus comes along and says, why don't you be part of my kingdom where a submitted person stands up and speaks out and the authoritative person kneels down and washes feet. I I didn't make this up. I'm just telling you what he says. Some of you are looking at me like this is the weirdest one of those California things. I can tell this is not couldn't possibly do this. But the fact is, that's what his kingdom looks like. If you're going to lead, you need to be servant of all. That's what it says. But what is the submission part about standing up and speaking out? Submission is the most powerful idea, I think, in the New Testament. It's the most powerful idea because it's a voluntary thing. I had a lady walk into my office one time. She had come because she was apparently struggling in her marriage. And I said, how's your, how's your home? She said, not so good. I said, do you have a biblical marriage? And she literally gritted her teeth like this. She said, oh, yeah. I'm submitted. I said, you're submitted? She said, yeah, I'm submitted. I said, lady, you're not submitted. You're a slave. Slavery is what somebody does to you. It's what they impose on you. Biblical submission is what you do to yourself. It literally means to send under, and it, all, it always comes with a reflexive pronoun. Ephesians 5.21, submit yourselves, 5.20, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for God. Humble yourself before God, and he will highly exalt you. It's about what you do. If somebody does this, what are you supposed to do according to the text? Turn the other cheek. And I've talked about this before. When was the last time you saw somebody do that inside the church or out? We think that's not American. John Wayne wouldn't do that. I mean, he'd gun you down in the name of the Lord, you know. <laughs> Take that, pilgrim, you know, something like that. What's this business about the, the Roman law said you could have the guy carry the thing a mile and he says if somebody asks you to take it a mile, take it two miles. What, what's that about? And this was mentioned the other day in service, I believe. That first mile, Roman soldiers in charge. Next mile, Jewish guys in charge. We always used to tell our kids, when you get a job, 
you'll be an employee, but why don't you go a few minutes early and stay later so that you're not always an employee, like you're your own person. Because when you volunteer yourself, when you go beyond, that's a powerful thing. The most important thing I want to say about this is that how does this work in relationship and speaking the truth? I would, I would submit to you. You don't have to buy this, but I'm just going to toss it out here. I would submit to you that submission in a relationship means that I'm willing to tell you the truth at three levels about what I think, what I feel, and what I know. What I think, what I feel, and what I know. Now, guys, men tend to tell you what they think. Women tend to tell you, and this is, these are generalizations, but the first, women tend to speak to you in terms of what they feel, which is much deeper than what you think. So, you know, men and women start arguing, and she's saying feeling things, and he's saying thinking things, and it's, it's doing this stuff, and we wonder why we can't communicate. Listen to Jesus in um, in Gethsemane. It's this week, 2,000 years ago. And this is what Jesus says in Mark, the 14th chapter. And you can find this also in Matthew, the 26th chapter. But Mark 14, oh, I'll, I'll read it to you from Matthew 26. It says in Matthew 26, Verse 39, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his sleeping disciples, kind of woke him up. And in verse 42, he goes back and prays the second time. My father, it's not possible for this cup to be taken from me. If it is not possible, taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. What he's saying is, father, this is the closest relationship ever. The father, the son. And he says to him, because he's submitted, he says, let me tell you what I think and feel. If there's any way to take this cup from me, take it away. But what I know is that the world needs to be redeemed. Foth needs help 2,000 miles down the road. So, your will be done. Here is Jesus who is so submitted to the Father that he doesn't hold back his feelings or his thoughts, but he expresses them. In order to do that, however, you need one other thing. And I rush to conclusion here. The thing you need in order to do this is you need tenacity. Tenacity. I need to know that if I tell you the truth, you won't run away. Relationships work over time because people say, I'm on you like glue. I'm on you like glue. We live in a culture that, uh, that says that the first hint that there's anything that's kind of up against my opinion or this sort of thing, 
Those of you think, well, I'll just, I'll just leave then. I'll just, I'll just go. Well, there, there are ways to handle conflict, and I meant to say this at the front end, but let me say it now. I talked about affirmation last week and talking about covenant this week. Somewhere in there, when you have relationship, you have conflict. How many know that there are conflicts in relationship? The only people who don't have conflicts are in the cemetery. We, we, you know, we have conflicts. But conflicts are neutral. David Augsburger, some years ago, wrote a book called Caring Enough to Confront. And in that, in that he listed five ways to deal with conflict. The first way is... I'll get you. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm going to get you. How many, I, no, I won't ask how many have done that. We're all specialists in that. Another way is I'll give in. If that's how it's going to be, I'll just, you're always right. I'm always wrong. I'll just curl up over here in the prenatal position and suck my thumb and eat a few worms over in the corner and we'll just, I'll give in. The third way to deal with conflict is I'll get out. If that's the way you're going to be, I'll just leave. I shared this story with some of you before that I met some folks down in, at a conference years ago and they had just been with a couple who had been married for 75 years. And um, you have to be pretty old to be married 75 years. And they called him up to the front and they asked the old gentleman, to what do you owe the longevity of this relationship? He said, well, me and Ma had this here relationship, this, this idea that if we ever got into it real bad, <clears throat> where it was really hot and heavy, I'd just go out and sit on a porch until we all cooled down. Then I'd go back on in there and we'd work it on out. He said, I guess this, mar- this marriage has lasted this long because of all that great outdoor living. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth way to deal with conflict is, is compromise. You come part way, I'll come part way. But the fifth and best way and most biblical way to deal with conflict is the way Jesus did it. And that's to affirm the person and confront the issue. My tendency is to sort of confront the person. Who's the idiot who left the Diet Pepsi on the end table in the front room, you know? Make a ring. You assassinate somebody's character for one calorie. You know? <laughs> Jesus with the woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8, when they want to stone her, he simply kneels down and writes in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. But he says, he who's never sinned, go ahead and hit her with the rocks. And it said, from the eldest to the youngest, the eldest had more sins, they left. And when he stood up, he just asked her, who condemns you? And you can almost, I can see the smile spreading across her face. She looks around and says, I, nobody. And then I see him start smiling. And he says, me neither. I don't condemn you. Go and don't do that anymore. Paraphrase of that would be, you are a great lady. And that's not the kind of thing great ladies do. Affirm the person. Confront the issue. That's the essential way. When I'm submitted to another person, I don't run away from conflict. I stay there. I speak the truth in love. Affirm the person. Confront the issue. That's how it works. This idea of tenacity is profound. In Proverbs, the 18th chapter, the 24th verse, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend 
who sticks closer than a brother. Most powerful words in a relationship can be, thank you, I love you, I'm sorry, forgive me. But how about, you're stuck with me, I'm not going anywhere. We are going to walk this through. We are going to figure this out. We are. If I know you won't leave, I can afford to tell you the truth. There is no covenant more powerful than Jesus with us at his table. Tonight, as we move toward communion, the Lord's table, uh, let me share it this way. When you take the cup, you think of the time that Jesus has spent walking with you. Think of his truth-telling, speaking into your life. When I say things about myself or I'm trying to make myself look better, and he cuts through all of that and he says, let me, let me tell you how I see you. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm here with you and for you. But let me tell you how that works. Time, truth-telling, tenacity. It's the essence of what the table is about. And the table has to do with covenant. It is the premier covenant in our lives. This is a more profound covenant than marriage, and marriage is profound. It's more profound than citizenship in this country, and I love citizenship in this country. It has to do with citizenship in another country, in another place. Not with a president or a premier, but with a king who lasts forever. And when we share our lives in this way, as you take the cup tonight, think of the fact that he has taken care of your history, that he affirms you by wanting to be with you, and that he has made covenant with you in the cup. And we'll come back in just a few moments and talk about that. Tonight, as we bring the elements, as the uh, ushers come and prepare to serve the elements, as we do that, we have a wonderful group of friends who... Uh, who lift their voices to the Lord in song. It's an ensemble. It says that just before Jesus went out to Gethsemane, that he with his disciples in the upper room sang a hymn. And that um, probably the hymn was what we call the Chalel, which is, which is found in the 118th Psalm, the 24th verse. And that verse says this. Jesus is going out to Gethsemane. This is the verse. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Just as you receive the elements, I'll come back and I'll instruct us in a moment. As you receive the elements, just listen to the words of this song that's going to be sung. You are welcome to receive communion if you have stepped into Jesus, if you've invited him into your life, no matter what your background is. Please share in this with us. If you haven't done that, please just let it pass. Thank you. When we look at the bread and at the blood of Jesus, those are the elements of the covenant. The body says, I will give my body so you can be part of it. Because of this, you get in. I get in. We are the body of Christ. It's a mystery. I don't know how that works. He's the head, we're the body. But I'm grateful for it tonight, aren't you?
that we get to be in him and he in us, however that works. The Lord took the bread on that night, broke it, gave thanks to the Father, passed it around, and said, all of you take heed. This is my body given for you. Would you take it with me? Precious lamb, whose blood was shed, as the essence of the new covenant. He says when he took the cup, I'm making a new covenant with you. It's like no other covenant you've ever had. Here's the deal. I know your history. And here's the good news. I still want you to live at my house forever. I affirm you with my presence. I commit to you myself. And you can accept the terms of the covenant. Or you can reject the terms of the covenant. Which are essentially, he does it all. But you cannot change the terms of the covenant. He said to all of his disciples, Take it, drink it, this is my blood shed for you. Let's just take a moment in quietness and in your own way, just thank him for the covenant that he made with you so many years ago. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done and continue to do. We are not we are not worthy and you know that but you've also told us that we are not worthless we may be unworthy but we're not worthless thank you for redeeming us from ourselves thank you for redeeming us and giving giving us hope in the future give you praise for that tonight in Jesus name everyone said amen one of the things we get to do is to respond to the covenant we get to respond and worship to him and one of the ways we worship is by giving asking the ushers to come back and to give you an opportunity to worship in your giving while we're doing this this wonderful ensemble is going to sing one of my favorite songs of all time when I survey the wondrous cross would you just let it wash over you as they sing. When I think of covenant, I think of uh, agreements we make with each other that sometimes are verbalized and sometimes they're just there. Some of you have heard me tell this before, but I was in the fifth grade. I used to play after school at Horace Mann's school in Oakland across the street from my house. And one day some junior hires came over and when you're in the fifth grade and ninth grader is God, you know, 
they're bigger, their voices like are lower stuff. And they started fooling with us. They started kind of jabbing at us. And one guy had a little knife. I mean, it wasn't anything, but they scared us real bad. And I ran home. And I ran into my front yard just as my dad was pulling up in his 1951 slantback Chevy. Some of you remember 1951 slantback Chevys. And uh, he pulled up into the yard. He could tell I was scared. He said, Dick, what's wrong? I said, nothing. He said, yeah, something's wrong. I said, well, they're big boys over at the school, and they're scaring us real bad. They said, where are they? I said, oh, they're gone. He said, get in the car. We're going to find them. I said, no, 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 no. You don't want to find them. He said, we want to find them. So we got in that car, and we started up Ignacio Avenue. Just went up over the hill, and the ringleader was walking home. My dad was six, two and three quarters, 240 pounds. I remember him pulling up in that car and getting out and calling the boy and saying, Son, could you come here just a second? The boy turned around and came back and he's looking at my dad like this. I get out of the car and I walk around and I stand behind him right over here. He just, uh, he said, Son, now Dick here tells me that you've been scaring him and his friends. He said, Oh, we were just fun and it was nothing. (laughs) He said, Well, it scared him pretty bad. He said, No, we were just fooling around. He said, Well, be that as it may. I just uh, want you to know that if you ever do that again, you don't have to deal with Dick. You'll be dealing with me. I remember going, yeah. (laughs) That's called covenant. Thank you for covenant, Lord Jesus. Bless us this night. Thank you for great hearts. Thank you for rings that symbolize covenant. Thank you for music that lifts our spirits. Thank you for friendships across the years and across these aisles. Bless us as we go, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in his grace.